Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brining and Jeremy Dunn. They will be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You are encouraged to call in and share your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Are you ready for your dose of hope? You're listening to Pause I Am Radio. I'm your host, Robert Brining, <laughs> and the fabulous Jeremy Dunn is with me this evening. How are you, Jeremy? I am just fantastic. Yeah, I'm having a, a pretty good good day, actually. Good, good. So am I, yeah. Um, it was a really nice day here in New York City. So uh, Charlie and I, we went out for a nice long walk this afternoon. It took us about an hour or so. And uh, <clears throat> here in um, Jackson Heights, they have a nice uh, green market every Sunday, year-round, so, Miss um, Charlie and I, we uh, we went to the green market, and I was able to uh, pick up um, uh, some new herbs uh, for my herb garden in the kitchen. So now I have cilantro, dill, and basil. Oh, nice! Yeah, I kind of I, I like fresh herbs, so um, it's going to be kind of nice to be able to have them, you know, always in my kitchen. I don't have to always buy them. Oh, that's awesome! And fresh is always better. Exactly. Just walk over there, snip. Got them. <laughs> so I have to tell you something. Um, recently, I started working out, and I'm starting oh, yeah? to enjoy it. I'm starting to really enjoy it. Um, I'm the type of person who I didn't really work out. I, I didn't ever feel like I had the need to. I played soccer, so that kind of kept me in shape. Um, and just kind of recently, I've been looking at different photos of me, and I'm like thinking I have. I'm starting to like get a little bit of a gut. So. Um, it's it's called being over. <laughs> it's called 30. being over thirty, buddy. Yeah, well, I'm not liking it too much. So I, I joined Planet Fitness. Um, Good for and, you. I, you know, I've been going. I think for almost like two weeks, and I I think I've been going like you know five days a week. I think the most, and it's it's exciting. I I'm, we I do a lot of running, so um, a lot of cardio. Because uh-huh. the whole point is that I want to lose weight. I don't want to definitely, like, I don't want to bulk up. I don't want to be some crazy-looking person. Right. No, I hear you. Um, I'm going to be, i I, I got to get back into the swing of things myself. Um, I'll be hitting the gym tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, between 6.30 and 7. Like, it makes me feel so much better. Like, at certain times, I would be depressed. And now, it's like, I look, I get up and I go to the gym. And I always had this issue with feeling like I was going to go to the gym and I was going to feel awkward because people were working out that were like, you know, you know, like knew what they were doing and I know nothing about lifting weights or anything, you know, so I always had this like issue. So like when I went to Planet Fitness for the first time, I was kind of thinking about all that, but what they kind of pride themselves is is no critics, you know what I mean? Like anybody can go there and it's, it's not. Planet Fitness. Yeah. Planet Fitness is the judgment free zone. 
Yes, and that's kind of what drew me to it, and I'm, I've been enjoying it, and it's kind of a pleasant surprise, and I, I feel like I have a little bit more energy, and I, and I feel I feel good. So, I mean, good. you're thinking about it. I said I feel it. It's only been like five years, so I guess now's the time. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna get back into the get back into my routine again. Um. So it's it's gonna be I I I have to I've got to get out of this house once or twice a day because you know I'm, I work here every day. So it's it's kind of it's gonna be nice to get back into you know seeing people in the in the in the city. Right. So that's so what, what I've been you know doing. Kind of been doing just that really. You know what I mean? Yeah. Last night. Uh, last night I. Uh, Went to a Fleetwood Mac concert. It was awesome. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, Joe had tickets, so I went with him, and it was front row. We were right at the stage. It was amazing. Um, it was oh, just nice. really awesome. Yeah, That's it was awesome. Cool. So um, we actually, I, I want to change the subject just a little bit because yeah. there was a there was a picture that you posted on Facebook earlier today, and um, a group of us have decided to make that picture the replacement for Grumpy Cat. Uh, <laughs> Everybody said it was horrible, so I took it down. I felt like it was bad. <laughs> oh no no no! We saved it. Some of us saved oh, it. Oh sure, I ain't worried about it. We're gonna we're gonna start putting captions. You know, it's like, yeah, I had a great day. Go bite me. You know, <laughs> or something like that. Tried, I was at a red light and I was trying to take the photo real quick and pay attention and not look like a like cheesy taking a photo of myself in the car. You know what I mean? Because, I don't know. No, you look pissed off. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, hurry up. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, my, oh, my. So, um, who do we have on tonight? Michelle Anderson. One of our favorite people. It, it, she's one of my favorite people of all the time. Of yeah, all time. Been, yeah, she's been on the show a couple times, so I'm glad that she's come back to give us a little bit of an update of what she's doing. And um, some of you may remember Michelle from being on earlier. Um, she was uh, the 2011 Miss Plus America, and she's, you know, great magazines with her beauty, and she's just an all-out awesome chick. And that big-ass crown she's got. Huge. Yeah. This thing, she's blending. It, it, it adds, like, three feet to her. She looks like Glenda, the good witch. I wonder <laughs> if Michelle travels by bubble, too. We'll have to ask when she comes on. Yeah. But she's, she's, she's a who. She does, she does a lot, a lot of good stuff for women, and, and women with HIV especially. She certainly um, does. Yeah, because I've been, I've been keeping track of what she's been doing, and, and, and I, I couldn't be proud, more proud of, of Michelle and what she does, and what, especially the, the effect that she has um, on women in the HIV community and, and young girls. And uh, to hear her story, and some folks, this will be their first um, – their first time hearing Michelle, and I hope Michelle goes into her story a little. Uh, well, I'm sure she will. We'll get we'll get her to uh, reprise her story as we always do when she comes on. But uh, you know, she just she's this there's this strong woman, and her strength just just radiates around her. And even when she speaks, and um, it just she could just stand there, and you just see this very strong, strong woman. And I, I, I'm so proud to have her back again. You know. Yes, I'm. I'm excited. She is. Uh, I remember meeting her for the first time, and I believe, and she can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the first time that I actually met her 
was when I went to D.C. and we filmed a public service announcement for um, the ADAP Advocacy Association um, in regards to ADAP and, and the waiting list and how important it is. And um, I remember taking a photo with her and meeting her and, and Brandon, you know, talking her up and telling me how great she was and all the wonderful things that she did. And just meeting her, like you said, she glows, she radiates, she just has she this, certainly does. this beauty that's not only outside but also inside. And um, I just, I'm just proud to, to know her, so... I just think it's incredible. You know, doing this, we meet a lot of people and talk to a lot of people, and she's somebody who is genuine, someone who speaks from the heart all the time and will always be your friend. And I think that's kind of why I am drawn to her, because she's kind of, you know, so open. So let me just bring her on. So let's welcome Michelle Anderson to the show. Welcome, Michelle. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you? Uh, great, Glenda the Good Witch. Really? <laughs> yes, Glenda the Good Witch. Are you a good wow. witch? Wow, okay, that's witch? a first for me. It's Glenda. So, so inquiring minds want to know, Michelle, do you travel by bubble? I wish I traveled by bubble. That would make it so much easier for me and my vertigo. But unfortunately, no. <laughs> no, no bubble. No bubble. Okay, we'll have to work on that. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me on. It's really great to be back. Oh, it, it's so awesome to have you, have you back. And, um, I, I, you know, there, I think we have some new listeners tonight, and um, as we always do each week. Um, Michelle, tell us a little bit about your story, about, you know, being HIV positive and, and, um, and a beauty queen. Well, you know, um, uh, pretty much I come from a well-to-do family. Um, my mom was a former cover girl model, and my father was a uh, first sergeant in the military. And, um, you know, we did a lot of things as a family unit. We did things together. And I think that all changed um, when my sister was born. And um, not knowing that she was born sickly and my mother had got a staph infection, I thought that was the day my dad stopped loving me. And because of that, I began at the age of four years old looking for love in all the wrong places. And because of that, I ended up uh, being molested from the time I was five to I was 12 years old, not by my father, but by um, members of my family, friends of the family, just whoever. I remember the first um, time I was molested was by an older white man, and I remember going in a boiler room, and to this day, um, I could still smell what he looked like, and I could still remember his beard touching my face. And so um, it just really devastated me. It changed my whole pers- uh, my whole um, thinking of how I was, you know, my whole perspective of my whole life. And so I continued to uh, – I didn't share my – I didn't tell my parents what had happened to me, and I continued to live, to act out. And um, I remember my parents taking me to a um, psychologist, and a psychologist, psychiatrist. <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, she's just bad. Just lock her in her room. And I remember them locking me in my room and um, keeping me away from the family. I remember sitting on that bed and, and just hitting myself on my legs saying, you know, that I was bad and this is what I deserved. And um Subsequently, because of that, everything that happened to me, I felt that I deserved it. Uh, As I grew older and I started to gain weight and not fitting what my family unit looked like, my father was handsome, my mother was gorgeous, of course, 
my sister was a beauty queen, my my twin brother was um, a, a model, and um, my older brother, Chico, uh, was a jock, and he was handsome. And so I felt that I was a part of, I just really didn't belong in the family. Uh, prior, but prior to that, um, one of the things I, I learned that um, – when I was like seven years old, I remember us going into a courtroom, and I'm like, why are we, you know, in court? I remember walking in there, and my mom goes, I have something to tell you, and tell you and your twin brother, and we're like, okay, you know, and she said, well, that's not your real father. That devastated me, because then I thought, well, since he's not my real father, that would explain why he doesn't love me, and that my real father doesn't love me, too, because other than, because he would have came and got me. He would have came and rescued me from uh, the molestation and things. So I grew up, you know, continued to act out, um, being promiscuous, um, still looking for love in all the wrong places, selling to drugs. I would smoke marijuana. I ended up having a, a child at the age of 16 years old, having to drop out of school, and um, just had no goals or aspirations. I felt like I was nothing. And at, and at certain times, you know, that belief was perpetuated, and I was told that I would never be nothing, that I wouldn't amount to anything, and that I would always have to have a man in my life to take care of me. So I believed that. So in order for me to, to survive, I figured I had to have somebody in my life. And because of that, I, um, at 19 years old, I was in my first domestic violence relationship. And it, I ended up being married at 21, continued. He was beating on me. But you know what? I felt like no love, what, this kind of love is better than no love at all. And so I stayed in the relationship because of fear of being alone fear of being rejected, fear of not being loved, and um, had two more children uh, by two separate men. So now I have I have three children by three different men, but it still didn't stop me. <laughs> Excuse me, y'all. It still didn't stop me from looking for love in all the wrong places. And I, land, I ended up being with somebody for two years, and I, and I loved him. He was not good for me. He was somebody who had went to prison, and um I just never thought, you know, that um, that uh, he that he would be do the things that he did because he ended up trying to molest my daughter. Mm-hmm. Years later, I would find out that um, after him coming into a uh, an aid service organization, I was doing an advocacy training that day, and he walked in the door, and the first thing he said was. Um, I, I didn't do it. And I was like, you know what, it's neither here nor there. My daughter was 11 years old at the time, and when I seen him, I think she was like 24. <clears throat> and um, uh, we had a few more words, and he just went on into the next building. It was like three months later when I realized he was the one who infected me. Mm. I was, And I think I was more angry with the fact that he, uh, it wasn't of my own infection, it was the fact that he could have infected my child. Right. Yeah, and it just it I was I became angry, you know, all those things where he should he should um go to jail again for it. and I you know, I went through all of that, knowing that HIV criminalization is not the way to go. Because no matter what I'm still going to be I'm I'm still going to always be HIV positive. Uh I have in my past I I have uh did uh I kept using drugs, and I ended up being um, out on the streets homeless. I um, was uh, doing sex work 
to make sure I have some place to sleep, um, uh, drugs and things of that nature. And uh, I was just trying to survive. So, so Michelle, mm-hmm. what was your rock bottom? My rock bottom, I, you know, and it's funny because I sit and I think about that all the time. I had several, but I think I was just on a death. I think I had a death wish. Uh, the first time I was stabbed in the chest. Oh. And um, my chest swelled up, and they didn't think I was going to make it. Another time, um, I was um, I had got so sick with pneumonia <clears throat> that um, they said I wouldn't live overnight. Wow. And um, I think that one was a really turning point because I began to think about my children. And, you know, and during that whole time, I had lost custody of my kids. And everything, you know, I said, you know, I need to go home and get my house in order because my daughter, my oldest daughter, had my first grandchild. And so I came back to Texas and to, uh, you know, make amends to her because I didn't know what the next day was promised for, for me. And that changed my whole life then. And is that how you ended up staying there in Texas? Yes, that's how I ended up staying in Texas. I was living in Las Vegas at the time. And so um, I went back to Texas, you know, and it was hell trying to forge a relationship with my child again. She was calling me a crackhead. We were fighting all the time. But, you know, I allowed her to voice how she felt because I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And she had every right to be angry. And I had to eat it. Right. You know, it's the hardest thing to have to eat your stuff. Right. You know, and so I had to eat that. And eventually we we have a, a, a relationship. It's not as good as it should be, but you know what? It's a relationship, you know. Um, and so I went on uh, to get um, the help I needed uh, concerning my HIV diagnosis and stuff. And, well, what um, made you go get tested? Can I ask you that? Well, maybe, well I was in rehab, and... Um, I decided to take the test to get out of the group. It, it was they came and told us that Dallas County would be uh, <laughs> would be uh, there to test. I said, "Oh, cool! I can get out of the group because I'm tired of sitting in the group. I'm tired of sitting on my hands. This focus group is driving me crazy. I'll do anything to get out of the group." Never did once that I identify with my own um, risk factors and played a role right. in it. I come from a well-to-do family, you know. Uh, I'm black. Black folks don't get it. We supposed to have some kind of gene to get it. It's a white gay man's disease. You know that whole thing. I never once thought I would be HIV positive. Not not one single time. It never crossed my mind. And um, two weeks later, the test came back, and she said it doesn't look good. And I'm like, What do you mean it doesn't look good? And she walked out the room. <clears throat> I knew I was HIV positive, and I thought I was gonna die. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to. I don't mean to laugh, but it's kind of comical. It doesn't look good. Bye. And she. <laughs> yeah, and she left, and I. Oh. I don't know. It was crazy because I was like, okay, I wait for her to come back, and she never came back. And I don't know if she was new in testing or whatever, but I think um, she couldn't handle it because of the person. I you know. We we uh, during the testing during while she was testing me, you know, we were talking and. And she thought I was a sweet person and this and that and the third. And um, it just, she never came back and told me. Never. So I knew I was HIV positive. I was devastated. I wanted to go back out and get high. Screw this. You know, um, went back to the unit to uh, 
tell uh, and, and started saying, you know, I'm HIV positive to my counselor. And she was, oh, you're going to be all right and nothing, you know, and this and that. And, third. and I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm going to die. Screw y'all. I ain't trying to hear that. And uh, she, I remember one day we were on focus group. And that's basically the whole unit is shut down and we're all in punishment because somebody's keeping a secret and they're not going to tell. They, you can't get up from your chair, chairs until people start sharing their secrets, what they've done. And um, we each day we had a chore that we had to do before leaving to go to group. And I did, uh, I had to clean up the bathrooms. And I did my chore and I came, you know, in the group. And then right before we was to go to lunch, right before we were about to go to lunch, uh, they did the uh, room checks. And so um, my counselor came out and said that um, somebody had left blood on on the toilet seat in my room. And Michelle wants you to go clean it up. No. That's not mine. I ain't no. Mm-mm. And I said it just no. Mm-mm. That's not mine. And there's sixty women in the room in the whole unit. Why all of a sudden you gonna make me go clean it up? And I remember getting the uh she handing me the bleach kit to go clean it up. That was the most humiliating thing I had ever experienced in my life, and I swore that I would never tell anybody else that I was HIV positive, and I didn't. Wow. So how do you go from that to becoming an activist? Like, what was your turning point? What was that moment when you decided that you were going to go from just somebody who was going to live, you know, in the closet about it to somebody who was going to actually stand up and, and, and talk about it? I had went right, right. I had went to a supportive housing unit for people who are HIV positive here in, in Texas and Dallas, and um, I stopped looking at them, and they were like laughing, having fun. This, that, and I'm like, what? Y'all ain't supposed to be having fun. Y'all HIV positive. Don't y'all know y'all gonna die? <laughs> <You know? laughs> And they were just going on, you know, people, I've seen people who were homeless didn't have anything, people who were close to death, people, I mean, they had, they were, and I wanted that, I wanted that freedom, I wanted that happiness. And so I began to open myself up and allow the healing to begin. I, um, uh, while I was there, I met up with Marcia Jones at the Afia Center, and she told me that I hadn't done anything wrong or different to become infected. And I, I tell you, and I say this all the time, it literally spoke life into me because the shame and blame started to roll off my back. So I started to learn about HIV. I started to learn that, you know, you can live with this diagnosis. And I, and I wanted to share my story to help somebody else. So I, I first shared my story at a bike ride. It's a Lone Star ride here in Dallas. And there was like hundreds of bikers. And that was the first time I would share my story. I tell you, when I got off that stage and people started hugging me and um, they were crying and I was crying, I knew that that was something that I had to do. Wow. I knew it was something that I had to do. And and I still didn't want to disclose all the way because then I started to want to protect my kids and I started to want to protect my family. And then finally I was like, you know, that that burden was still there. That secret was heavy on me. And so I said, you know what, screw this. I went on Facebook and said, I think it was on World AIDS Day, hi, my name is Michelle Anderson, I'm HIV positive. That changed everything that I thought about how people perceive HIV to be 
because I tell you, people reached out to me, and they it was they didn't say anything that was judgmental. It was all out of love, and um, I just went in from there. Uh, I was scared, but I continued to do it. Uh, I got involved with the campaign to end AIDS and started to see that um, I can help make a difference, you know, um, in other lives of HIV-positive people. And uh, I decided that one day, years later, (laughs) that I would do a beauty pageant to raise awareness regarding HIV and AIDS, although I did not want to because I knew that I would have to really tell and share my story on a national level. And I said, you know what, I'm, I've already said it, what What the hell, I'm going to just go for it. And I didn't win the, the first two times I, I competed. I was third runner-up both times and went to the Miss Plus America pageant. Didn't think I was going to win, but I enjoyed being with other women. I enjoyed sharing my story with them. I enjoyed, you know, breaking down some of those myths and, 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 and allowing them to see the commonality between me being HIV positive and they're not, that, you know, it's just the – uh, by luck, grace, God's mercy, how, whoever you want to believe in, that they're not infected. But I haven't done anything wrong or different. I and continue to share that message that was given to me through Marsha Jones and just went on. I felt like I did my part. Ne- again, never did I realize I would win the pageant until they called my name. And I just broke down in tears. And I thought that that day that I didn't win, but we won. HIV positive people won. And for the first time, I felt that um, those who were afraid to say that they were HIV positive through me, can, when I walked across the stage, can say that they were HIV positive too. And I felt that we made history that night. Wow. That's awesome. That's beautiful. Now, did you have any uh, reactions from the other queens, anything negative, or any of the other queens maybe come up to you and say, thank you for being a voice. I, too, am also HIV positive? You know, yes, um, I did. Um, I did go through that. I did meet some people um, who uh, secretly told me about certain things that happened in their lives, and um, or people who had entered a pageant because of they heard my story, and they were HIV positive too. And I was like, wow, I felt like um, what I was doing was not in vain. Um, as far as other queens, it was they were very excited. They were very happy about it. I had a few that weren't, but that's okay. That goes along with the territory, not because I'm HIV positive, but just because they didn't win or whatever. You know how that goes. But other than that, I just didn't. It did not. Um, they didn't change. They didn't change. Uh, they were probably more excited than I ever was mm. to this day. Uh- how has your family reacted? My family, at first, my mother was very apprehensive. You shouldn't tell nobody. She used to tell me all the time, I, I hope you're not planning on sleeping with anybody, uh, you know, you, that your life is over. And I was like, please. <laughs> my <laughs> life is not over. <laughs> Nowhere near it. So wait a minute. Does that mean sex is good, Michelle? <laughs> sex is very good. Very good. <laughs> Just wanted to make it clear. Yeah, no problem. No problems with so. that. It's, it's getting, it's, it's picking and choosing that I have a problem. <laughs> 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 you know, but it has not changed anything. I date mostly men who aren't positive, but because I'm so free with sharing my story, they admire that. 
and they begin and they trust me and 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 they're open to learn about HIV. So I've never had a real issue with um, with dating. I've had some who couldn't, didn't quite understand it, you know, because they were still thinking that, you know, HIV was a nasty disease and you had to, you know, that whole thing, you know, and, and or, or what would people think about them dating HIV positive women. They were afraid that my stigma would become their stigma and they couldn't handle that. And I was okay with that. Cool. What one won't do, the next one will. I'm cool with that. <laughs> so it's just it was it was an odd my parents though, my mom was you know, um as she started reading a lot of the articles and she started reading I think her her when she finally came around was when I was in Paws magazine and I handed her the book. Mm. And I remember she, that. Yeah, she had tears in her eyes, and she was, and she didn't say anything. And then I handed her the other magazine article that I did, and then saying, "I just leave it on her desk." And then she started asking questions, and then she started, you know, becoming the proud mom, the proud mother, and you know, and and she, I don't know when she changed. I couldn't tell you, but I tell you, I went from the bottom of the list of being the 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 um, what do you, what do you call that? The black sheep. To the number one, the number one kid. <laughs> you know, I was taken out of the wheel. Now I'm back in the wheel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, and she told me just the other day. She goes, "The past is the past," and I like to fell out my chair. But <laughs> literally, and because anybody knows my mom, she was very strict. She was stern. I knew she loved me, she, although she never said it. Excuse me, with me growing up, she never they never said I love you. And that was the one thing that I needed. All I needed was for them to say I love you. They never yeah. said that. They weren't a very they weren't they weren't that type of people. But I remember at seven, she told me one day that she loved me. And I tell you when I say all those strongholds and chains began to fall off of me because that was the one thing that I wanted. And so I wanted to succeed. I wanted to do right. I wanted to to do right by my kids. I wanted to do right by myself for myself. Because you know you get tired, you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I wanted that change. And so in order for me to change, I had to start the healing process. And it was it was it was a long road for me. Mm. You know, one of the um, things that you mentioned <laughs> earlier was after you found out that you were HIV positive, and you found that that. Um, one of you know the person that you were with gave it to you. You had that whole incident, you know, where you were you you, you hated, you wanted revenge, you wanted to you know you wanted him arrested, you wanted him to go to jail, and that's kind of like a normal thought for any person who's newly diagnosed who knows exactly who it was and if there was some sort of if it wasn't you know communicated correctly or whatever the situation may be. That anger is always there, and I think once you sit and think about it and really absorb what has really happened, the most humans kind of realize that it's it's kind of it takes two to tango, and you know I just wanted to make it clear that you know that that's a normal thought that we have, you know that right. we want we, we want that we want we want some sort of justice because we feel like you know we were either deceived or whatever, but in the end it's kind of our responsibility as well to to cover it right. up. Right, 
Right, and I, and, and, I, and I share that a lot with people, and I let them know. It takes, well, you're right. It takes two to tango. You know, um, we both have a level of responsibility when we're having consensual sex, and it should not lie on the person who's HIV positive. Because, you know, the funny thing about it, people think all the time that it's HIV positive, people are spreading this, this disease, and it's not. It's the ones who don't know. So I don't know if he knew or not. Right. But, you know, and, but again, the messaging didn't speak to me, so I assumed that I was okay in the relationship. Never thought I mean, about we, using a condom. No, exactly. But one of the things we talk about a lot on the show is HIV criminalization. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you do a lot um, with uh, the campaign to end AIDS. Right? You're still involved with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do a lot with the campaign in AIDS. Um, I'm co-chair for the Southwest, one of the co-chairs for the Southwest region. And one of the things that we are tackling is HIV criminalization. Although Texas doesn't have a um, any criminalization laws, they do have assault with a deadly weapon. Um, <clears throat> of course, you know, there's some high-profile cases that came out of Texas where one guy mm-hmm. who spit on a police officer got 35 years. That's ridiculous. Even though the science says that you can't get infected, you know, but it's that stigma that drives all these laws. So why are HIV people, why are HIV positive people being criminalized for this disease? When if we're going to criminalize this disease, we're going to, we should criminalize uh, the transmission of chlamydia, gonorrhea, all those things too. Yep. Right. So I why? Agree. Why? Exactly. And so. Um, and when people we, but it, it takes HIV positive people sharing their stories. It takes that. It takes people no longer being afraid and say, "Hey, I'm a, although I have this diagnosis, I still have this, this. I still deserve the right to have my human needs met. Period. Bottom line: I refuse to be a throwaway person. I refuse to allow society to dictate the outcome of my life." Mm-hmm. And it criminalized me for it. No, I, I don't want, I should not be villainized for having HIV because you know what? I was a victim too, bottom line. And, you know, what's interesting is we all have our own story, right, of, mm-hmm. you know, of with, with HIV and HIV infection. And, um, it hurts me to to see uh, to, to see um, it, what what hurts me the most is to see when people um, are treated with disdain, mm-hmm. less than, mm-hmm. and um, but with disdain and less than, and and because we're all dealing with a virus, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, lucky for many of us, we are controlling that virus, you know, with medications and uh, safer sex practices, and you know, shared mm-hmm. sorting, and, and all kinds of things that that are out there that are tools today. Mm-hmm. But I am, I'm like you, Michelle. I'm not out there trying to infect anybody. Nice. I'm not out there, you know, because it's it, 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 we are all united on this front. Right. We have a virus, not a not a 
a weapon of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. life is yes. under control, right? Right. And I will, you know, I, I'm going to stand with you, link arm in arm, and we'll chain ourselves to something. <laughs> and and you know, it, it, that's that's the I think the efficacy the efficacy of, of what ACT UP did, and and that's the kind of vitriol response I think that we need again to this whole criminalization um, wave that's coming across the country. Right, right. Um, you know, um, we have to move people from thinking of this disease, this infection, as a, a moral issue when there's social structures that are in place that um, if not dealt with, people can become HIV positive. You know, um, you're absolutely right. There, there needs to be a visual. But, the thing, but you know, the hardest thing is is getting those people to come out and do it and stand for themselves. I think that is the hardest thing that I deal with on a daily basis is if there's events of some sort where it is for HIV-positive persons that it's hard to get them to come in to those rooms and say, hey, I'm HIV-positive for whatever. You know, but it's their own, it's, their, it's stigma. We know it's stigma. And we know a lot of times it's self-created stigma. What would people yeah. think of me? You no, know, I, I and that's, go ahead. No, I was just going to say I want to um, just real quickly open up the phone lines here at the show so people can call in because we have about okay. 25 minutes left. Uh, do you want to call and speak to Michelle or have a question? You can call us at 347-215-9442 and press the one button so we know you want to speak with us and you're not just listening. I want to take a really quick break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll continue more with uh, the fabulous Michelle Anderson. We'll be right back. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than AIDS. And we are back live here with the wonderful Michelle. Hey, Michelle. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, again, the, the phone lines are open, 347-215-9442. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is, um, you know, the headlines that have been coming out recently about HIV. There's been one out of Kansas about the quarantine. Uh, we talked about it on um, the last Hot Topic show. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, obviously, I know what they are, but um, explain to me <laughs> what you, uh, how you feel. It is a travesty that we continue have to fight the same fight regarding HIV infection. This disease has been around for 30-plus years, and yet we are still fighting uh, this that very same fight that we fought years ago, especially when ACT UP was, was real, you know, back then. And they, they were fighting that fight, and we're still having to do that. And it's just it's just insane that I'm trying to figure out how did that happen? Where were the – what was the advocacy when there was made mention of that possibly happening? Because we know that it had – somebody had to know prior to it happening. 
why did it automatically move so quickly and no and there was no response by HIV positive people? And I'm not condemning HIV. I know I get all that. I understand that. But where was the advocacy when this happened? And so it seemed like we're we're, we're constantly fighting that same fight. I. You know, now they're saying that they're not trying to quarantine HIV-positive people, whatever. The bottom line is that they, they remember, I don't know if y'all remember, but years ago they were talking about doing this. Mm-hmm. They, that's what it is. You can't tell me no different that that's not the case. They are trying to quarantine HIV-positive persons. And, again, we are still being victimized, villainized, and told that we are of no value to society. That is just insane to me. That is insane to me. And we need to start changing those messaging. You know, we need to continue. You know, it is important for us when every time we see those things like the sign-on letters or to call our representatives or to call our local, you know, representatives or, or whatever, we need to be making those calls. Because as long as we continue to stay, stay silent, though, these kind of things will continue to pop up because, you know what, nobody's saying anything different. Okay, now I'm getting off my soapbox. Okay. No, but <laughs> Michelle, you're right. You're absolutely right. If if we as HIV-positive individuals don't take any action, who's going to fight for us? That's no right. one. That's you know, we're you know, waiting and, and, for – I'm sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. We're waiting for Captain Saver, brother or sister. They're not coming. Exactly. There is no there, – there is no um, knight on a white horse going to come charging through here and rescue all of us. We are responsible for our own destiny. If we don't make those phone calls, and I will tell you personally that letters and phone calls to your representative, they work. The The best thing that you can do is to clog up the switchboard because then they're going to realize that people do care about this stuff, about all of this stuff. Right, 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 right. And you're so right. You know what? It's just it's just really sad um, because these, this should not be happening now. There is, it seems like we took a step back, like yeah. a big step back. You this, know, is two, this is 2013, people. Mm-hmm. You know, people mm-hmm. need to to wake up. Actually, um, I'm on Twitter because people we we tweet out stuff throughout the show. You can follow the show at Pazim. That's P O Z I A M. And um, follow Michelle at HIV Beauty Queen. Um, and we were talking about the quarantine last year, last year, last show. And Josh Kruger, a former guest who was on the show, uh, tweeted us, and he said he's going on a self-imposed quarantine on an HIV cruise this summer just to get laid and to share ideas. So <laughs> that's his thoughts uh, on the on the quarantine. Uh, who said that? Uh, Josh, Josh Kruger. Uh, <laughs> that is so funny. Figure yeah. that'd be Josh Kruger. Yeah, yeah, that's our Joshy. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, um, I I just think that um, again that you know we have to realize that nothing's going to change unless we change. This is the all. Nothing's going to change unless we change, and we've got to come. You know, we are instead of fighting why um, non-positive people are doing this work. 
you know, I thank God that people who are not positive doing this work because, you know, to me, to change things, we have to show up in numbers. And because somebody has to fill in that, those gaps for, you know, and be the voice for HIV positive people, we need to learn to work together and, and understand that without everybody fighting to end this epidemic, we'll be here another 30 and 40 years. And it is my hope that before my grandkids, become my age, that HIV is no longer in existence. That's why I do this work for my grandkids. That's incredible. You know, one of the, one of the other things that we, we, we have spoke about on last week's show was uh, the word or the term functional cure. Um, what are your thoughts on, on I'm using that? It just rubs me the wrong way, um, kind of using functional cure. I think it's just kind of, I think it's a misconception. What are your thoughts on that? Because we've kind of had a reaction of some people agree with with me, and then other people think that, you know, it gives us a beacon of hope. I don't, I don't need to hear functional cure. I need to hear a cure. Um, mm-hmm. All the stories that are coming out, except for Tim. You know, I love him. I was able to meet him, Tim Brown, Timothy Brown. I was able to meet him. And, so he gave his story gave me hope. I, I don't want to hear all the other stuff about, oh, there's a cure this, they're doing I need to know that there is a cure. You know, mm-hmm. um, I can't keep getting my hopes up to be let down. Right. I agree. You know, I agree. So I, I try to, to avoid, I really do, I, I try to avoid uh, listening to those types of um, messaging because it just, it, 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 it's, it's, I just need to know if they're going to be a cure. That's it. I don't need nobody playing with me. Tell me, oh, we come close. No, either you got it or you don't. That is true. I just feel that way. I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm just, you know, I'm, I, cause I, I don't want to, I don't want again, I don't want to be all, all excited, even about the baby. You know, to me, when I heard about that, I said, okay, so it, it, it changes my whole thinking about HIV. Is HIV a viral or is it a bacterial? Right. Because this child had it, had HIV, and they cured for HIV, cured uh, the baby from HIV. Then is it a bacterial? Because science the science, is, to me, from what I learned, goes against everything that we were taught about HIV. Mhm. And so now I need a, I need an understanding. I need to I need them to tell me exactly how they came about doing this. I mean, exactly is HIV a viral or is it bacteria? That's that's what I need to know. Well, it, it is a virus. Um, the the thing about kids. Um, is that when a baby's born, they usually have a lot of their mother, their mother's stuff with them. <laughs> so, this happens a lot, though. That babies are born, they test positive, and they're they're kept on a antiviral regimen for you know a few years, and then mm-hmm. it turns out that you know their body has cleared everything out, and um, the virus didn't take hold, and that sort and that sort of thing. So, you know, this isn't new, but I, I think it's been happening happening so infrequently mm-hmm. that it that it, it, it made news. Um, but see, I think what my thing is, she had no prenatal care. 
So when the baby was born, the baby didn't have the antibodies. They were saying that the baby had a viral load. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yep. In my mind, that meant that this child was HIV. Even though they get, you understand what I'm saying? So even though, you know, know, science says that um, uh, HIV positive women can have a child, they give them, you know, they go through the whole six weeks and all this stuff, and the baby doesn't develop HIV. They They said that the baby had it. So in my mind, okay, if they cured the baby, is was it a virus? Is HIV a virus? Because science says it's a virus, or is it bacteria? Do you get what I'm saying? In order yep. to cure this child, I mean, you know, I this this for this what I was taught about HIV about the HIV life cycle. Is it a virus, or did they treat it as a bacteria to cure this child? Right. Right. No, you're absolutely right. So I, I think we have uh, – I'm going to – we are literally down to the last 12 minutes. So I want to jump into some questions that we've got coming in. Um, uh, uh, Brett from the room says, uh, Michelle, have you seen the new or heard about um, the new Tyler Perry movie? And what do you think about the, the HIV storyline in the movie? Um, I, I, you know, I'm glad that there was an HIV storyline. Um, although I haven't seen the movie, I have yet to really critique it. Um, I've been hearing the stories about how they made it. So, because we know Tyler, mostly Tyler Perry movies are um, talk about moral issues. And are they, are, is the movie saying that people who, uh, sin or who have adultery or something that they deserve to be HIV infected. I that's don't know. Exactly I what yeah, that's exactly the line. <laughs> if you keep sinning like this, you're going to end up HIV positive. Wow. And so that does not, that does not do any of us any good because, again, nobody has done anything wrong or different to become infected, regardless of what they engage in. You know, if this was the case, everybody, everybody who, has, who has had unprotected sex would be HIV positive. Well, here's, here's the way I think about it. <laughs> it's, it's like this. Is it, you know, are these Tyler Perry's views, or is it simply the view of the character that's delivering the line? It's a movie. Right, yeah. it's a movie. You know, is he standing up there saying that all sinners deserve HIV? I don't think so. No, that's what the the church believes. Right. Right. And so that's what the church believes, you know, and and that sort of thing. And so I I think what Tyler Perry is doing is he he does what all um, artists do, right? He's holding up a mirror to the reflection of the community. Right, 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 right. Well, I can't wait to see the movie so that um, I can see exactly how the plot goes. You know, and and it's sad that, um, because I also do reach out to the churches in and you know in Texas. You know, we are the Bible Belt, mm-hmm. and um, we get most of our funding from abstinence only programs, which we you know don't work because kids are doing it big. They're doing it big time. You know, mm-hmm. and so um, we need to, again, 
look at this as this disease is not a moral issue, but a social issue. Right, and I'm sure, and I, and I'm sure that like most of his movies, it's probably amazing. It's probably a great movie, um, and you know, it's, it's straight from the heart, and it probably mimics somebody that he's met throughout his life growing up or whatever that had that view. You know what I mean? Because he bases a lot of his stories off of things that he's experienced, and I just think that I think it'll be a good movie. And like you said, Michelle, if HIV is in it, it's bringing attention to it on on a huge scale, and he's done it before. So I think you know, right. Right, right. I think it's good. But one of the things I did want to talk about before we let you go, because it's winding down so quickly, um, is that next week we're going to have on a guest by the name of Christopher Sharp. Um, so this just recently hit the headlines um, on Facebook. I saw it going around, and I, I reached out to him, and he's going to be on the show. And I just want to share the story of what happened, and then I want your thoughts on it, Michelle. Uh, Christopher mm-hmm. Sharp is an openly gay student running for the student body vice president at the University of Houston downtown and was targeted by a horrific smear campaign last week when a flyer with Sharp's photo and a headline, Want AIDS, circulated around the campus. Accusing Sharp of having a homosexual agenda, the flyer's creator reached a new level of awful by also printing a copy of Sharp's confidential medical records containing his HIV-positive status on the back. Though he initially considered transferring schools, but thanks to the support of his friends in the university, he decided to stay there and continue his campaign. He's not, he doesn't plan on pursuing any legal action. He just wants an apology, and he says he's going to wait for that. So next week he's going to come on and talk about what that was like for him and, and, and what's going on now and if he's actually got that apology. But that's like, you know, right in your, that's in your crib sort of. Tell us a little bit about what you think about that. that. You know, for someone to share somebody's diagnosis is <laughs> – I, I have no words to, you know, to say about, you know, people feeling that it's okay to share somebody's diagnosis, whether they're a public figure or not. Uh, that was his private life. And that's not a, that does not say that he cannot uh, do his job that he's running for. You know, just because you're HIV positive does not mean that, uh, you uh, cannot be prosperous, you know, that all of a sudden that when we get HIV, it seems like um, we become uh, ignorant. We become, um, what's up, mentally challenged, you know. Uh, you know, and, and that is just um, the sad, again, that was a human rights violation right there, and I think that they should be held accountable for that. I understand that he wants to um, not uh, seek um to uh, charges against that, but you know, as long as we continue to allow people to do things like this and get away with it, with a public apology or whatever, no, people need, you know, just like they make us uh, have to uh, criminalize us for having HIV, the, the very same people who disclose people's statuses should be held with, uh, with, uh, uh, should be held, uh, should be charged with uh, disclosing somebody's status. Well, absolutely, isn't that HIPAA? Yes, yes. You know, they, yes. they violated HIPAA, law, HIPAA rules, HIPAA laws. They violated oh, you know, the, the right. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Know, no, 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 I, I'm, just, I, I'm just saying they violated the HIPAA rule. Right, right. And, the, you know, and they may have disclosure laws. They, they, there's, there's, no, there's no disclosure law here in Texas. And for them to oh, to to say that um, somebody's HIV positive, see the one thing that uh, the HIPAA law only protects those who are like 
case managers, you know, and the medical part of it. Um, I think that um, the HIPAA law should be streamlined to go also go into people that you share your status with to not disclose. Um, you can't get deformation of character and stuff. So it's a really a fine line with what the HIPAA law um, covers because it doesn't cover everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't co- exactly. cover everybody. And I'll probably say this again next week when he's on the show, but. I mean, for me, this is a form of bullying. And with all the things that have been going on with bullying and, and LGBT, you know, teens and, and, and guys, you know, killing themselves, I think for this guy to take this form of being bullied himself and actually now being willing to come on our show and talk about it and actually respond. I saw him on articles responding to people's comments and stuff like that. That's actually how I found him. Um, I think it's commendable, and I think that it really shows a lot of hope for those younger LGBT students or people living with HIV who may be going through this. You know, I recently had a friend of mine contact me who is HIV positive and isn't out of the closet, and, you know, his business has gotten out there by people that he thought were friends that he's just close to, and they started a rumor about him and that he had passed away and stuff like that, and, you know, they're basically bullying him with, you know, texts and things like that and, and saying that they hope that he died of AIDS. And, and it, it, it's just not fair. It, it's not fair. And I think that this guy's story, um, you know, is, is commendable for him to, to turn it around and say, you know what, I'm not going to hide. I'm going to go and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, share what, what this is all about. Not too many people would, would be able to do that. Nine, nine, nine. Yeah, not too many people would be able to do that. But, you know, I, I just really believe that, you know, people need to understand that, you know, it doesn't matter if someone's, set, you know, sexual orientation or whatever, that does not give them the right to disclose somebody's status on any level, uh, you know. And, and it was a smear campaign. And and I, would, I, I definitely will be calling in next week. Yes, I'm excited for that. So, Michelle, we are winding down. Um, the question we always ask – you know, our guests, um, one, tell people how they can contact you on, on Twitter or on your Facebook page, where people can like you and, and follow you. Um, you can contact me on HIV Beauty Queen on Twitter, and that was my name given by my handsome host, Robert Bryan. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, you can also contact me on Facebook at uh, Miss Plus America 2011. And um, I actually have two pages, and I think they're both under Miss Plus America. And the other one is Michelle Anderson, Miss Plus America 2011. That is right. So the final question, boom, 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 boom. What would you give to a woman who is newly diagnosed HIV positive? What type of advice? That you're not going to die, that HIV is a very small facet of your life, and that um, HIV does not have to dictate the outcome of your life. You can live a full life. You can do all the things that um, you want to do in life and understand that no matter what, you know, um, live your life. Live your life out loud. Continue, start sharing your story and hope to save somebody's life because one thing that I've learned was by sharing my story, my story doesn't belong to me. It, it's, I'm, I'm telling the very same story that somebody else is waiting to hear, their story through me. That's right. Well, Michelle, thank you for joining us this hour, and 
we hope to talk to you soon, and I, I look forward to seeing you in the summer at the ADAP conference. You definitely will. I love y'all. We love, we love you, too. you too, Michelle. Bye. Bye, honey. And, folks, uh, we are about done. So for more information on Jeremy, your website? I'm at uh, www.positivelyspeaking.com. That's positively with a Z. Yes, and for more information on myself or the radio show, past shows, to join the Positive AM social network and find others who are living with HIV for friendship and support, uh, you can go to posiam.com. It's www.posiam.com. Have a great night, Jeremy. I'll talk to you next week. Okay. We'll see you next Bye. week. Bye, everyone. I'm going to fight them all. A seven-nation army couldn't hold me back.